Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 120th episode. That means I've done this 119 times before this, and that means that you have chosen to listen to me today, and I appreciate that. I know that when you open up your podcast app on your phone or on your desktop, that you have a lot of options within the fly fishing world. And so I am very appreciative that you've chosen to listen to me for 20 to 25 minutes. Hopefully I can tell you something or remind you of something that can get you out on the water, get your nose in a book, get you uh, playing with your gear and get you appreciating your time in and around fly fishing just a little bit more. Uh, along those lines, if you know somebody who is new to the sport, if you know somebody who is new to podcasts but has been a fly fisher for a long time, definitely send them over my way. I do appreciate that as well. And uh, just know that the podcast just scratches the surface of what casting across is. I started the podcast, obviously, 120 episodes ago in order to kind of broaden my range of exposure. Uh, the website existed for years and years before the podcast came out, and I consider that my bread and butter. I, I like talking, uh, but I like writing even more. And so there's a new episode every Friday of the podcast, but there's a new article every Monday and Wednesday. And then I put stuff on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram as well. But because this is the 120th episode, which... Every 10 episodes since I started the podcast, I have taken the opportunity to interact with tweets, with Facebook messages, with emails, with website comments, with Instagram feedback, whatever it may be, just to kind of uh, freshen things up and diversify what I talk about. I want to talk about what you want to talk about. And so I'm going to do that today, and I'm going to start actually with a tweet. So a few episodes ago in the podcast, back episode 118, I talked about winnowing your fly selection down to one fly box. And if you want to know the why uh, behind that, then go listen to episode 118. But uh, Anton on Twitter said, totally disagree, and then a face that looks worried. And uh, I saw that, and, and it didn't really phase me or bother me. But uh, right after that, I got an email from Anton, and he says, Hi, Matt. I did really appreciate the helpful hints to encourage us degenerate fly hordes who pack in far too many flies options. It was a great podcast. While I'm not sold that these ideas may be adopted by most, it is always good to take inventory of what you really use this time of year. I would just have to add a few yellow sallies, BWOs, and even a few hoppers in various colors because they're so big in the mountain streams here in Utah. 
we're big on Tenkara and the Canyon Streams too. So Anton, thank you for your snarky tweet as well as your follow-up email. And he brings up a really good point. I mean, I my fly selection was for mountain trout on the east coast. Now, given they're primarily brickies, but uh, rainbows and browns as well. And it's interesting because I realized that there was a few things that were lacking in my box when I did take my one fly box out west of Colorado. Uh, I was packing minimally, just trying to get by with with just a little bit because it wasn't a fly fishing trip. It was a family trip, but uh, I have a very, very good family. And so I was able to go fly fishing a handful of times. And so I only had one fly box and I figured mountain trout or mountain trout, I can get by with what I have. But as these giant hoppers are buzzing around, I'm looking through my box and I've got the biggest caddis that I can find and I'm smacking that thing down on the water to try to create some sort of disturbance and make it replicate what a hopper would be doing. And it just wasn't cutting it. And so I caught fish. I caught plenty of wonderful, you know, greenback cutthroats. And so it was awesome. However, it wasn't uh, an ideal trout selection. It wasn't an ideal small stream trout selection for where I was fishing in Colorado. So yes, you definitely want to adapt based upon what you have around you. I mean, I think in that selection I put in Adams, if a BWO creates a little bit of a softer mayfly profile, then go with it. Honestly, I'm not sold that the trout really care that much, especially on a fast-moving stream. On a spring creek, they're going to be a little bit more selective. They have that opportunity. But if there's any turbidity in the water, if there's um, any foam in the water, I just think that they're looking for profile and they're looking for size. Uh, and, and even those things, there's a, a little bit of, of leeway in, in certain ecosystems. But Anton, you're... you're uh, your totally disagree uh, sentiment I get. I mean, I, I got a, a couple more pieces of feedback on that podcast, and it is hard. When you are used to carrying a lot of, of flies with you, it's hard to really narrow down what you have. But that's why my recommendation, again, was to start off bringing all your flies with you and then really just pay attention to what you use. And then I give uh, some examples for how to wean yourself off of carrying too many flies and not just go that way cold turkey in that episode of that podcast. So thanks, Anton. All right, the next topic is a big one, and I'm only including it as the second one as opposed to the third one and ending with it because I, I just really want people to hear it, and um, I realize people tune out after a while. So this is from Christopher. This is what, uh, what Christopher writes. I want to say thank you for your time and dedication to creating an easy-listening, non-political fishing-slash-life podcast. As a native to Pennsylvania, Maryland, who now lives in Georgia, I appreciate hearing about all those amazing freestone creeks and reminiscing about my time there. I'm still working backwards through your podcast as I drive to and from work daily and have to admit I haven't gotten through all of them yet. That being said, please accept my apology if these topics have been addressed and covered in the earlier recordings. Now, just to kind of move things quickly... He mentions fishing with children as his first topic, and that's going to definitely get a whole podcast soon. But I really wanted to touch on his, his second point, and here, here's what he says. I have been fly fishing for just under 30 years now, and since stepping foot in the first river in New Jersey, I found a deep draw to spirituality while there. I should admit this to a pastor. Again, I'm a pastor, FYI. Uh, that's my, my real job. But as a young adult, I would skip church and head to the river during that time and found a deeper growth in reading devotionals in the Bible while there than sitting in a pew. Now as a middle-aged man, do I blend these two together? I've converted to Catholicism from a Baptist following, and that was a real jump and change, but still do not feel at peace with my religion until I'm sitting among the beauty that nature brings, not the building that man made. 
Locally, they started a Fishers of Men program that brought fly tying and rod building to a Methodist church. Um, then he says, um, I know it might be taboo and not well received by the masses, but how do we blend our Christianity and fly fishing to draw us closer to God during times when we are at the most peace? Um, he says, I wish you the best in this program. Look forward to hearing about your continued endeavors. Chris, awesome email. I really appreciate it. And you know what? It, it isn't taboo. And I, th- I wrote about that or, or spoke about that a while ago about how, uh, you know, in this day and age for politics or religion or money to be off the table, it's just, in my opinion, it shows a lack of a willingness to engage on the most important topics. And so here's, here's a few things. I mean, there's so much I could say about this, and now even as I'm kind of gathering my thoughts, I realize that this could absolutely be a multiple podcasts on its own. But here's my first thing. Everybody is religious. They just don't say it. And and that's my opinion as a pastor and as a, as a theologian and as someone who is pretty well-read in philosophy and history. You have a belief system. Everyone has a belief system. I think that, that we have common ground when we're on the water, and that's something that we can both stand in, and, and, and hopefully people aren't so far gone in relativism and postmodernity to reject the reality that we're both standing in a river enjoying the same pursuit. And so here, here's what I wanted to say kind of to your point. How do we talk about religion? Well, let me just mention what I think about myself and kind of the presuppositions that I bring to a conversation about fly fishing or about religion or about anything in between. First and foremost, I believe that people are created with dignity. I believe that they're created with dignity. I don't believe that they've evolved and they've somehow taken on dignity. Now, if somebody believes in an evolutionary scheme and that they believe that there is dignity from that, then I'm glad that we have that common ground. I might see some inconsistency in that position, but my position is that all people are created with dignity. So that means somebody who holds the same beliefs as me and somebody who holds to different beliefs as me. It's okay to disagree about those beliefs, but that doesn't change the fact that I believe that they have dignity because they were created. Secondly, I believe in a stewardship of creation. And again, we might come to the same conclusion about taking care of our natural resources, the trout, the river, the entire watershed, and the the, the world. We might agree on that, but I arrive at that position not because it's arbitrary and it just happens to be the the sentiment of the day and, it, and it's, it's actually chic and in to be environmentally conscious. I believe that that's something that was mandated, something that was given to people by God. The one who created the world and created the universe gave that to people for them to take care of. Might someone say, well, you believe in creation. You don't really see the world in the right way. Certainly they can, but I'm here to say that I ardently fight for conservation issues because I think that the stuff that's out there, whether it be the mountains or the valleys or the rivers or the oceans, has a whole lot more value value than chance and randomness. I think it has intrinsic inherent value because it was created by God. So the first thing, you know, is is human dignity. Secondly is the dignity of of creation, but I'll put a caveat there. I think that the created world is below man. I think that we have more dignity. We have a a special sort of position in creation, but in that relationship we are supposed to take care of creation. 
And that makes sense. I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. Again, this is, this is what I do for a living. I get very excited about this. And the third thing that I, I would say is that I see an opportunity to worship. It's not the same kind of worship that I do when I'm preaching or I'm teaching or I'm in the with the, with the rest of my my church family and we are engaged in worshiping, singing and praying and things like that. But there is certainly an opportunity to worship in an active way, which is kind of what Chris referenced in his email of sitting down and actually focusing on who you are, who God is and, and where you are, but even in a passive way in just appreciating being in nature. And so that is three bullet points. But hey, if you've ever heard a good sermon, there's usually three bullet points, right? But those are three ways that I like to kind of frame my engagement with the outdoors. Um, anyone who knows me personally knows that I do not beat people down with, with my faith, but that is certainly something that is profound, not just because of what I do vocationally, but because I think it does frame the entire conversation of not just what I'm doing, but who I am and kind of how I see the world. Circling all the way back to the beginning, everyone has a religion. You might just call it a worldview, but what does it do? It's the presuppositions that you bring into how you arrive at conclusions, and then it gives you the basis on which you act upon them. And so whether it's, this is why I fly fish, or this is why I raise my children a certain way, this is why I engage politically or socially, Everybody has a worldview and a belief system, and so we need to be okay with that, and we need to understand that there are people with vastly different ideas, and it's good to talk about those things. You hold your convictions tight, but you don't do so in such a way that you have a fist that's ready to punch anybody that differs with you. So... Chris, that might have been more than you were asking for, but I just, I, I, I feel like that's worth saying. Uh, I don't talk about myself too much in the podcast. I know I'm talking about me and my opinions and my fishing, but I don't talk about my, my personal life too much. But I do get quite a number of emails and uh, messages about that. And so, again, if this is the last thing that you want to hear about on a fly fishing podcast, then I get it. But it's, I mean, and this is not to toot my own horn, but it's probably not going to be something that you're going to hear about in too many fly fishing podcasts. And Really, what it comes down to is the fact that I'm just—I'm not ashamed about the gospel. I'm not ashamed about Jesus. I'm not ashamed about the truth as revealed by a holy God through His Word, and uh, the fact that I just, by grace, I know Him, and by grace, I have opportunities to talk about Him. But I also appreciate that my calling to do those things is to be done in a measured and thoughtful and respectful way, and so. That's my hope, that as people hear this, they don't think that it is a sermon, that they don't think that it is proselytizing um, with a capital P, uh, but that, that they see that it's just, just truly how I approach not just fly fishing, uh, not just casting across, but also uh, just my entire life, because we all have that thing. So anyway, thank you, Chris. Thank you for being one of many who, who have brought that up and asked about that. And I figured uh, it was high time to kind of address that a little bit more explicitly and a, and a little bit more head on. Um, I do have a, a similar theme coming up in the near future, but uh, you'll just have to wait for that. Okay, third email from Andrew. This is I, I kind of feel awkward reading the praise of, of the podcast and, and of me, but at the same time, I mean, hey, they wrote it, so I'm going to read it. Andrew says, heck of a nice podcast you have going on here. I stumbled onto it and the article, The Fly Shop on the Lake, while Googling some of Ed Shank's fly patterns, thinking, there's a guy I never set to meet, though I certainly had the chance to. It's life, but kind of sad to see the old greats go along with their fishing tales. 
your podcast, episode 116, Famous and Fishable, was a great review of where we are today on these rivers versus where our forefathers were, the ones who laid it all out before the internet, and about the attitude to perhaps keep in mind when it comes to pursuing trout in these hallowed waters today and forward. Nice job, Andrew. Well, Andrew, I appreciate that. Uh, and again, Andrew referenced a couple of things that are, are, are big on the website, uh, specifically South Central Pennsylvania. The article, The Fly Shop on the Lake, was probably my first big article that had some pop. I interviewed a number of kind of local legends in South Central Pennsylvania, um, everyone from Ed Shank to uh, Bob Clouser and uh, another a, ha- a handful of other local guys there, and uh, talking about the fly shop that's now the TCO in Boiling Springs. And uh, Ed Shank, I, I wrote an article about him after he passed away. I've, he, he's made his way into a handful of, of my articles just because I was able to spend some time with uh, Ed uh, in my time in South Central Pennsylvania. And then, of course, the article, or excuse me, the podcast that he's referencing, I did talk about some of the South Central Pennsylvania streams, which aren't the same as they used to be. They're still good. They're just not the same as they used to be, and that's okay, and that's kind of what Andrew was saying is that you know we can still fish these. We can still pursue trout in them. It's just they're not going to be exactly like we read about if we're reading a book that was published at the turn of the century or even like the 50s or 60s, um, but that's still something to keep in mind that where you're fishing is where a lot of important things happened. And uh, so I, I appreciate that, Andrew. It kind of sounds like maybe uh, you, you've been around a little bit longer than me and you've uh, had opportunities to fish in some of these places. And I would say seek out people who have those voices. Seek out uh, folks who have fished in these waters 20 years ago, 50 years ago, and bare minimum. They, they might not help you catch trout necessarily because times change, uh, ecosystems change. But the richness that they add to your experience on the water is something that can't be replicated, that you can't um, fish your way into. Even if you spend, uh, you know, 300 days a year on the water, you're not going to have a sense of place and a sense of history um, as if you spend maybe you know, 100 days in the water, but uh, you have some conversations with the guys and the women who've been fishing there for the last 50 or 60 years. It really changes it. And again, if all you're looking for is fish, then don't worry about that. But if you're looking for that richer experience, that I think most of us are, then that's something to definitely consider. So thank you, Andrew, for your kind words, for, you know, stumbling onto some older articles and that that they brought you uh, all the way up to the present. That's one of the great things about uh, the website, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dropping all these vague hints about things I'm potentially doing, but I am considering changing up the way that content is shared when you go to castingacross.com because at present, you have three random articles that an algorithm gives you at the bottom of every article, and they may or may not have anything to do with what was written, but I think that what they do not take into account is um, articles that didn't get a whole lot of publicity when I first started writing. And um, I think some of those first articles are just fantastic. The first year and before I had much of a presence on social media or anything like that, and certainly long before I started the podcast. And so I'm going to mess with that so that some of those old articles cycle back up through and are visible because they're they're timely. Uh, they're, they're pertinent. Um, you know, hey, if it's a gear review, that stuff's probably on sale if I wrote about it five or six years ago. 
So if you have questions, if you have comments, if you uh, think that I have gone too far in talking about religion when talking about fly fishing, well, first of all, take it up with Norm McLean. Well, seriously, uh, reach out, Matthew at castingacross.com. And you know what? If you're truly irate, then um, email me and we'll have a phone call. I, I I have done that. I've had conversations with people over the phone when uh, I can tell that there's more that want they want to say, and, and uh, it's never been heated. It's never been an angry exchange. They've all been cordial, and uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm all for that. I'm, I'm not super free, but I can find time. But anyway, Matthew at castingacross.com, or you can always chirp me through Facebook, through Twitter, a DM on Instagram. I'm casting across and all that stuff, but I really appreciate the emails. I know I say that a lot. It sounds like it's uh, you know redundant that I'm just mentioning it over and over again, but it's just a lot of fun to get emails, even if they're short, even if they're brief. And then the long ones, like you know half of the email I read from Chris, uh, those are great. And um, even though it's not a, like a like a capital R relationship, some of these folks that I've gone back, some of you who have gone back and forth with a few times, and um, you know offer a product recommendation, and then you come back and talked about how you enjoyed it or things like that. That's just awesome. You know, again, this is not my full time job. This is something I do for fun, and so that adds a whole lot of depth, and it makes it a little bit more robust. So keep them coming. Thank you very much. This week on Casting Across, two articles. The first one was called Lid Rig, Hats Off to Innovation. Lid Rig, Hats Off to Innovation. All right, I say this in the article. I am clear that no one needs a $75 or $100 pair of nippers. But there's a lot of things that we don't need that we buy. The nippers that are created by Lidrig retail for $74.99. And if you are at all considering a nice pair of nippers, these are definitely ones that you should take a look at. Uh, read the article, but a few things I like about them. One, they're magnetic, and so um, they they can anchor to something. They're not going to jingle around as you walk and move if you have them strapped to something. They're built to go onto the brim of your hat, hence the name Lid Rig. But uh, I, I use them in a couple different places on my gear. Um, so that's one awesome thing. Secondly, there's a hook hone built into the little mounting dock that they have, the little clip, which... I think we need to sharpen hooks way more than we do. Um, I, I, I can say that for myself. Um, so I imagine I can extrapolate that out to you, the audience. And then thirdly, what I really dig about it is that it's a little bit smaller. It's still big enough you can grab. You're not going to like lose it in your hand. But because of its size, even if you kind of grab it in the middle of it or towards the, the more towards the jaws, by squeezing it with a moderate amount of force, you're going to generate enough cutting power to cut through things. You don't have to grab it in some precise, perfect way with your fingertips right over top of the jaws to get enough biting power. So I like that a lot because there's some nice nippers where you have to grab them just the right way. And if you're in a hurry or you know your line's at an awkward angle and you just want to snip it, it's a small thing, uh, but it's definitely worth it. So lid rig, hats off to innovation. You can see a couple of pictures of the lid rig on, on that post. And then Wednesday, fly fishing controversies, a media statement. So not only did I talk about religion today in the podcast, but I waded into some of the hotter topics in fly fishing today, eight of them, everything from social media influencers to the use of tailing gloves to the term fly fishing celebrities. Very brief. Um, already has gotten uh, a good little bit of, of reaction on the internet. But definitely check this out at castingacross.com. 
this week's recommendation is the website Panfish on the Fly. I know I've recommended certain products from Bart at Panfish on the Fly before, but you need to subscribe to his website. It's just great, solid information about panfish, but a lot about gear and fly tying, especially fly tying. And I've talked a lot about fly tying over the last few weeks and months just because it's that time of year. And like I said in uh, last week's podcast, there are some simple patterns that you can tie that are going to absolutely slay panfish, but you're going to be able to, you know, scale them down a little bit or maybe make a few modifications and they're going to be perfectly fine for trout. And Bart covers a handful of those patterns that are just great. Uh, working with foam, uh, working with uh, you know rubber legs, working with uh, all sorts of bigger streamer materials. He has some great information on there. So definitely check that out. Subscribe to his newsletter. Um, and I think it's uh, every Friday something comes out. But uh, just a great guy, great information, and who doesn't like catching panfish? And there's really no better gateway drug into fly fishing. And I find more often than not, like if I just want to catch a fish, that's what I'm going to go go to because I can catch it up on top. I can use my lightest fly rod that I have, and I'm not going to be inconvenienced by throwing a small popper with it. And, uh, you know, Bart has that appreciation, and he definitely does a good job with Panfish on the Fly. So head to panfishonthefly.com, and I will put a link to Panfish on the Fly on uh, the page show notes for this podcast over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv